Well, good morning, Axis Church. It's good to see all of you, and as always, it's a privilege to be here and to share with you. Josh is uh, somewhere in the Northeast uh, performing a wedding this weekend, so that's where he and Jess are. Stephen is in Middletown, so, you know, they're getting to the bottom of the rung, so sorry you get me today, and, uh, but I get the privilege of being here with all of you. I just want to say hello from the, camp, the Middletown campus. And thank you for your prayers and continued support. We pray for you and what you're doing, the ministry here. We have, if Stephen hasn't shown you, he should show you some pictures of the new building. It is coming very close to completion. We plan on being in that new worship area at the end of October. Hopefully some of you will be able to just join us. Now, I don't want the whole crew to come at one time. I'd be in trouble if all of you ducked out and came up there one Sunday. But at some point in time, come up and see us and uh, uh, say hi and see what's going on in the ministry that's up there. And it's just exciting to see God working. We have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we have new people coming almost every Sunday. And they're just excited because they see the new building and the progress there and great ministry things are happening. Last Sunday, we took and moved all of our children's area that was in our current building, and we moved it to the office building that's next door because we're starting also to do some renovation in what we've been using as a church building. And so it's just, there's a lot happening, a lot of work. It's fun. Some of you have been up there and helped, and I just want to say thank you for that. And there'll be some other days that you can come and help. You should see Scott with a paintbrush and a roller. He's pretty good. And so uh, we appreciate him coming up, and some others of you have been up there too. This morning, I want us to, to think about staying committed. And to begin, I want you to, uh, in just a second, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I would like for you, with all of the gusto that you have, with every ounce of strength that you have, I would like for you to turn to them and just say, we're going to win. Okay, you ready? So turn to your neighbor, look them in the eye, and say, we're going to win. Not bad, not bad. That's pretty good. There's an old story about a uh, janitor who worked for a, a Christian college, and there were all these young seminary students, you know, they were studying to be preachers and pastors and all that, and they studied theology all the time, and he would sit in the gym every night <coughs> as the basketball team practiced, and so the basketball team would be doing their thing, and he was just kind of sitting over in the corner, just... Every night, he would take his Bible out and he would read. Every night, his reading was from the book of Revelation. And these seminary students started talking among themselves, going, have you noticed what he reads every night? He gets his Bible out and he beat, reads the book of Revelation. There is no way he can understand everything that's in the book of Revelation. Why in the world does he do that? I mean, he is not educated. He hasn't had the training we have. There is no way he can understand that. And so one night, they went over to the old janitor. And again, there he was, sitting there with his Bible, reading the book of Revelation. And these young seminary students walked up to him and they said, why is it that you read from the book of Revelation every night? There is no way that you can understand everything that's in there. The old janitor looked at that and he says, boys, let me tell you something. He said, you're exactly right. He said, I do not understand everything that's in the book of Revelation. 
I don't understand everything about what God intends for the end time. I don't understand everything that's in there when he talks about all this different stuff. You're exactly right. I don't understand. But I tell you one thing I do understand when I read the book of Revelation, and that's this. We will win. This morning, I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we talk about the things we're going to talk about. Because we all have times in life where we feel like we're not going to win. We feel like we're just not getting there. We feel like we're, we're just overwhelmed so much that there's no way we can ever win in this situation. But I want you to keep in mind, we will win. In ancient Greek mythology, there's a legend of a king. His name is Sisyphus. He was the founder of a city called Ephrath. Sisyphus was the king, but he was not a good king. As a matter of fact, everything that he did was kind of for himself. He had a reputation of being violent, of being no good. He had a reputation of just not being the kind of king that you would want. As a matter of fact, on a couple of occasions, he cheat death because of his own convoluted trickery. Remember, this is Greek mythology. So the Greek gods got together, and they were not pleased with his deception. They were not pleased with what he was doing. So they decided among themselves what they were going to do. They decided that his eternal punishment, his everlasting punishment, would be for all time for him to push an immense boulder up a hill. And just as he got to the precipice, the top of the hill, ready for that boulder to go down the other side, something would happen, the boulder would slip, and it would fall all the way back down to the beginning. And he would have to go back down and start pushing this boulder up the hill again. And every single time when he got to the top, Something would happen, it would slip, and be down at the bottom again. That was his punishment for all eternity because of the kind of person that he was. He was, in essence, sentenced to an eternity of hard labor and of immense futility. Of course, some of us think that and say, well, if you want immense futility, what they should have done is given him some teenagers to raise, and then he would know exactly what immense futility is. Or maybe some of us would say, well, put him in ministry, then you'll know what it is. But anyways, but for all time, that was, that was what he had to do. So that was the payback. Eternal futility. Hard work that ultimately gets you no one, nowhere. Has anybody ever felt like that? Felt like, you know, you're working and you're working and you're working and you're doing your best and you're putting everything you have into it, but you're not getting anywhere. Right when that promotion should be coming, you've worked, you've planned. There is some young person that comes on the staff and they choose them. Right when the next step of life should be coming together, you've planned and it happens. Right when you think you're going to retire, you've put all your funds together, you've saved and all that, COVID comes along, the economy goes into a recession, inflation goes up, and you can't retire anymore. You see, it happens to every single one of us. By the way, the city that King Sisyphus founded later actually became known as the city of Corinth. 
Corinth is a name you probably recognize because Corinth is a city to which Paul wrote a couple of letters. Letters concerning the Christian life and what it meant to be a Christian and a follower of Christ. He writes to the people living in that city, and this morning we're going to look at one of those books, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and just a couple of verses in there. And as we look at those verses, we're going to learn some things from Paul about staying committed, living a life that's not futile, living a life that's filled with uh, doing the things that God wants us to do. We've been in this series called Staycation all summer. And in this series, we have thought about and we have talked about how is it that we can become stronger as Christians? How is it that we can have a better handle on what God wants us to do? How is it that we can be more committed to Him? And so we've talked about different subjects through that, and today I want us to think about how do we stay committed in the tough times, in the hard times that we all have? How do we stay committed? And to do that, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. Certainly, Paul is one of these guys who could have at some point in time just thrown up his hands and said, it's not worth it. I don't know why I'm doing this. I mean, I, I work and I work and I work and it seems like I'm not getting anywhere. He had one setback after another setback after another setback, one disappointing outcome after another disappointing outcome. Yet Paul throughout his life remained more and more confident and upbeat with every setback. He stayed committed. So how did he do it? Well, first, this is kind of just a cursory mention, but I don't think we can go on without saying this. The first thing that Paul did to hold on and stay committed is he made a point to renew his heart every day. Every day he renewed his heart and his mind and his spirit in some way. He spent time thinking about praying, studying, looking, asking, developing that stronger relationship with the Lord. That was first and foremost in his life, and everything that he did, it was his relationship with the Lord. By the way, interesting enough, what does the Bible say that Jesus did almost every morning? It says, he got up very early in the morning and went to pray. In other words, even Jesus continually throughout his life developed that relationship with the Father so that it would be stronger and stronger and it gave him the strength to hold on and stay committed. Paul did exactly the same thing. I think the second reason that Paul did not lose heart, that he stayed committed, is really where we're going to focus today and where we're going to land. And that is, he stayed committed because of who he was and what he did. He never fell back into that What's the use excuse? Have you ever been there? You've done something, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you finally go, what's the use? Why am I even trying? Why am I even doing this? Sometimes, maybe even your Christian life, you feel that way. Well, today, I want us to catch some foundational things to remember, to remember so we don't fall into that. Because every church, every pastor, every leader, every parent, every spouse, every follower of Christ, at some point in time, will fall into that situation where they go, what's the use? Why am I putting myself through this? I try and I try and I try, and it seems like I just don't get anywhere. 
just as I think I have it, just as I think it's coming together, just as I'm about to go over the precipice of the hill, something happens and I just slip back again. So let's think about how do we hold on? So if you write things down typically, or if you have pen and paper, I'll give you some things to write down. Hopefully you will, because these are things that are going to help you to hold on, to grow. Here's the first one. Remind yourself that what I'm dealing with today is nothing compared to what lies ahead. What I'm dealing with today is nothing compared to what lies ahead. Our challenge is to get our eyes off the current situation and on the fullness of the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. When we see clearly the inheritance that awaits us, we get an understanding of what God has for us, then the difficulties of today seem to be much, much less. They become light and momentary. Just imagine you have a new job. You're going into this job, and I mean, it is the ultimate job. You've got a six-figure salary, everything you ever wanted in a job. It is your dream job. You've got the corner office, you know, you, you look over just the, I mean, if we're going to do it, let's just look over the lake or the ocean, okay? So if you're going to have an office, let's just make your corner office look over the ocean. You have the most cooperative employees and the most cooperative boss you could ever imagine. The culture is just great in the business, and every morning there are free donuts in the employee break room. Okay, you with me? I mean, this is the job of all jobs. Except, sometimes when you're shuffling through the papers on your desk, you get a paper cut. Unfortunately, it happens almost every day. And so here you are thinking about turning in your notice to quit this job because you get a paper cut almost every day. You know, some people don't realize it, but paper cuts are serious now, aren't they? I mean, have you ever peeled an orange when you had a paper cut? It does not feel so good when the juice gets down in there. Or you have to clean the bathroom and some of those chemicals get into the paper cut. It is not pleasurable, let me just tell you. So a paper cut is a serious thing in life. And here you are in your dream job. You're getting one almost every day. Now I'm being a little facetious in this. But it gets the point across. It would be ridiculous to leave a job like that because you get a little paper cut every single day. But that's exactly what people do oftentimes in life. You know, things are coming along, they're going well, and something so small happens. We look at it, and it's not all that big a deal, especially compared to what God has for us and what he has planned for us. I mean, we've just gone through 18 to 24 months of some of the toughest months probably most of us have ever lived through, and that is COVID. And now here we are, we've got a recession on hand, we've got inflation that's going, and prices are going up and up and up, and we're going, how are we going to make ends meet? By the way, I'm glad we have chickens in our backyard to give us eggs. Have you bought eggs lately? Those things are ridiculously expensive. And that's where we are today. But you know what? That compared to what God has planned for us is like the little paper cut that we get. 
Yes, it's tough. It's not easy. We don't want to go through it. It's not the best thing in life. But if that is our point of view, and that's where we focus, we have ignored the things that God has for us. And that's exactly how Paul held on. He was looking past where he was today to the things that God has for him. Listen to these verses found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart, for our light and momentary troubles are achieved for us as an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Regardless of how it may seem sometimes, life is not futile. It's filled with promise and hope and more than we can contain. When we look at life through the lens of God and who he is and we get his perspective. So if you're struggling right now with some what's the use kind of issues, today I want you to challenge yourself and I want to challenge you to remind yourself to remember as often as you can that God is there that he is still in control, that the things you're facing right now is kind of like that little paper cut. They're nothing compared to the fullness of the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. They are so wonderful and great. That's the reason Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If whatever is happening this moment is all that you see, and you don't see anything else, then yes, the paper cut is annoying. The thing going on right now is annoying. It's the worst thing ever imaginable. But if you can see beyond the moment and see what God's doing in your life, how he is helping you to grow, how he is developing you, and the promise he has for you in eternity, how much greater is that? And our problems all of a sudden seem very small. And I want to make it clear, when I talk about God's plan for your life, yes, we're talking about heaven, but I'm also talking about today. I'm talking about today. I tell you, and this is the honest truth, and I hope you feel this way too, I don't know how people go through life without a relationship with Christ. Back when I was doing ministry full, more full-time, I would oftentimes get a call from the funeral home. And they would call me, they would say, Mark, we have someone that's just come in. And, uh, sometimes it was a child, sometimes it was a baby, sometimes it was an adult. They just come in and the family uh, does not have any church relationship at all. Will you come and do the funeral for them? And I would typically say yes, if I could work it out schedule-wise, I'd typically say yes, and I would go do the funeral for them. I want to tell you what, the feeling of those funerals was a feeling of loss and desperation. There was no hope. It was not a fun place to be. On the other side, you do a, feel, a, a funeral for someone who's been a Christian all their life, a funeral for someone who's committed themselves, who's lived the life, who has the hope of eternity, and you go, I know exactly where they are. It's a whole different feel, isn't it? It's a whole different thought process. And that's the hope we have in Christ. There's a second reminder, and that is what I'm dealing with today is doing me more good than it is harm. What you're dealing with today is doing you more good than it is harm. Paul says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
In other words, they're working for us and not against us. An example of that is Paul himself. His dream was to go to Rome. I mean, Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to preach there. He wanted to bring people to Christ. He wanted to establish a fellowship of believers, a church there. And that was one of his ultimate goals. He said that oftentimes in his writings. And just imagine what he could have done. He did go to Rome, but how did he get there? He got there as a prisoner. He was in chains. He was in prison. He was in shackles. Most of us would have said, what's the use? It looks like the devil's winning this round. I mean, Paul was wanting to go and establish this church and preach and do all of this, and here he is in prison. What's the use? Listen to what Paul says. This is Philippians chapter 1, another book that Paul wrote. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Most people would say, I'm in prison because I preach the gospel. It's the worst thing could have ever happened. But Paul says, this is a win. In the Old Testament, you probably know the story of Joseph. You know, Joseph was the kid that his dad liked him, gave him the coat, had a bunch of colors in it and all that. And the rest of the siblings, the brothers, didn't like him so much because he seemed to be the favorite in the family. One day, all the brothers were out with the flocks, and they were taking care of those, and Joseph was going to go and bring them some stuff, you know, letters from home. He was bringing the mail that day, and they saw him coming, the brothers did, and they said, we don't like this brother, we'd like to get rid of him, so they made up a plan. They were going to put him in a pit, take his coat, rip it to shreds, take some blood and put on it, take it back to the dad and say, dad, I don't know what happened, but we found this coat, your son Joseph is no more, some animal must have gotten him. And so that's exactly what they did. They put Joseph in a pit. They took his coat. But in the meantime, instead of killing him, they saw a caravan coming. And they decided, hey, instead of uh, killing him, let's sell him to this caravan. Let's get something out of this guy. They sold him to the caravan. The caravan went to Egypt. He was a slave in Egypt. And through a long process of many years, it ended up that he was the guy that was over all of the food when a famine came. He was the guy that was over and saved the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And listen to what Genesis chapter 50 says when Joseph says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It's important to remember that you're, the things you're dealing with today they are not done to you, it's happening for you. And it's happening for the benefits of the people around you also. God takes every situation and, as the Bible says, causes all things to work together for good. How many of you like to read mystery stories? Any of you like to read mystery stories? They're kind of fun to read sometimes. You know, Mystery stories, you try to figure out who did it and what did they do and how did they do it. And you go through these mystery stories and you're reading them. Every so often, the writer of a mystery story will put something in that's called a red herring. You know what a red herring is? It's where they try to steer you off track. You know, they'll, they'll try to either steer the characters in the story or you as the reader 
off track so that you can't quite figure out who did it and how they did it and all those kinds of things. And it's called a red herring. And the purpose is to send you in the wrong direction. We sometimes fall for the red herrings. Now, Miss Marple never did. Angela Lansbury never does. Perry Mason never falls for a red herring. Lieutenant Colombo never does. And neither do those meddling teenagers ever fall for a red herring. And in case you don't know who any of those people are, one, you're too young or you don't watch enough me TV, all right? They'll never fall for the red herring that's kind of sending you off in the right direction. The situations you're dealing with today oftentimes can be a red herring. It wants you to look at only the problem, only the situation. It does not want you to look at the solution. It doesn't want you to look at what God's doing in your life. It only wants you to see your sin, not your salvation. It wants you to only see the wounds, not the scars. It doesn't want you to see the victory that's coming, but don't be hoodwinked. Don't be fooled. God is doing something in your life. He is working. Don't let Satan be the red herring that takes you off a sidetrack. Then there's a third thing I want you to write down real quick, and that is this. Remember what I'm dealing with today is merely a short-term situation. It's short-term. The problem won't last, but you will. In this verse, Paul uses a couple of terms differently than we might expect him to use when he's writing all of this. For example, we oftentimes think of our problems as heavy and burdensome and bearing us down, and we think of happiness as something that's fleeting and light and breezy, but Paul actually turns those around. Verse 17, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says our problems are light, and the glory that awaits is heavy. What does he mean by that? Well, let me give, let me give you a thought. First, Consider the weight of glory. Maybe it's like a ton of granite or a big rock or a mountain that's made out of granite. Some type of success that's here and stands. It's not gone tomorrow. There's no way you can get rid of a mountain of granite just overnight. And that's our inheritance. God says, it's yours. It's stable. It's a firm foundation built on that foundation. And what about our problems? Well, maybe our problems are kind of like a dandelion. Have you ever noticed that no one ever tried to build a fort out of dandelion stems, right? I mean, dandelions, a little puff of wind comes along and the whole thing blows and it's just gone. There is nothing there. There is no strength. There's no longevity. There is nothing to it. Paul is saying your problems today, compared to the blessings that God has in store for you, are like the difference between the dandelion and the mountain. One is just, Anything will take it away. The other stands strong. The other is always there. When a teenage boy in the Old Testament named David went up against a giant named Goliath, he went up against the giant. You know how the story ends. He did not listen to what his brothers said. He didn't listen to what the rest of the soldiers said when they said, don't go out there because he will kill you. We have been sitting here in fear for days. Don't you go out there. Here's what David said in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then he walks up to giant. Now remember, David, a boy. Goliath, a man, a giant. He walks up to giant and he says this. 
You come against me with sword and spear and javelins, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And guess what happened? God did. Goliath was the dandelion. David was built on the rock. Every difficulty you're facing is something that's just going to be gone. But your foundation in Christ will stand forever. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves daily who our life is built upon. And it's built upon the rock. King Sisyphus was sentenced to a never-ending process of pushing a boulder up a hill. Right when he gets to the top, it was going to roll back to the bottom. Today, his name is synonymous with futility. For believers, that word doesn't exist because there is nothing that you do in service to God that would ever qualify as being futile because God is causing it all to work together for good and for his glory. He redeems even our light and momentary troubles. So see them for what they are in comparison. One is gone, the other stands. Your problems are kind of like the paper cut. You know, a minor inconvenience that just comes along and it's gone. Or, or they're like the red herring. Satan's trying to send you off in some direction that he really doesn't want you to go, that God doesn't want you to go. But if you look back and focus upon the Lord, you stand strong. Or, or they're kind of like the dandelion. Fragile, fleeting, the smallest thing, and they fall apart. Rather than focusing on your light and your momentary troubles, focus instead on what God wants to accomplish in your lives. Some of your troubles, you know, they seem overwhelming, but God is greater. When you move into the weeks or months or years, you may be able to look back and go, wow, God had everything in control. He was doing it. Our God is not one of futility. He is one of strength. And he encourages us to hold on, to remain strong, to trust in him. And here's what I want to kind of end with this thought today, with this little phrase. If you didn't catch anything else today, this is the one to catch. What you're dealing with today, it will not last forever, but you will. And that's God's promise. Pray with me. God, we all have those times of futility. We feel like, how am I going to get there? What am I going to do? And how am I going to do this? And we don't know how we're going to get past it, but you know what? We need to put our faith and our trust in you in an even greater way. Knowing that we are blessed, that you are strong, you are the foundation, and that we as your people and we as Christians need to stay committed to you in everything that we do. And if we stay committed then we have a reward waiting for us, not just today, but a special reward in eternity. So help us to turn to you, especially in the tough times of life. And I pray it in Christ's name.